0: Well, it's good to be with, uh, good to be here with all of you this morning. Our topic today is going to be on the subject of grace, and I was just thinking that probably, or at least we should probably, in in every time that we gather here, there's probably some mention of grace, and we're probably kind of familiar with what that is. But <laughs> I still think that it's useful for us to have a lesson on this to kind of go over and refresh ourselves with, with what grace is, and uh, how it's bestowed upon us. And going straight into the lesson, you know, looking at some definitions of grace, I'm sure that you probably have some idea of what uh, the definition of grace is. And I have a few of them on this slide here. And from thefreedictionary.com, it says that it is a favored rendered by one who... Need not to do so or indulgence, and I think that's a pretty good definition of what grace is. That there's some something is given by somebody, and they really didn't need to do that. They only they they bestowed that gift uh, simply because they wanted to, but there was no requirement for them to do so. Uh, in the Lexham Bible Dictionary, it says it is gracious or merciful behavior of a more per- powerful person towards another. And so you think that in relationship with God or Christ, extending grace to us. That mercy that's being extended uh, towards this other person, and again, uh, this is not something that's owed, uh, but it's given by this person that has authority or this more powerful person, and it's given uh, towards this person in a lesser uh, position and then also we see in the uh, the companion to the Bible it says that it is the undeserved favor of God uh, toward humans all right and so this is kind of similar to that first definition there in that god there's nothing really that God owes uh, to humans and everything you know really anything that he gives to us is Uh, something that we don't deserve. And so this is grace being bestowed upon uh, everyone. So those are a few definitions of grace, and I think they all kind of give us this same idea about what it is. It's this undeserved favor uh, that God gives towards people, but also we can extend grace to uh, other uh, individuals as well. Now, when we... Think about it, and of course, I kind of had this idea growing up that when we think about the Old Testament versus the New Testament, you kind of have this, or a lot of people have this idea that in the New Testament, uh, God was, uh, God is loving and kind. He bestows grace, and then in the Old Testament, he's just kind of, kind of mean, kind of vengeful, and there's not a lot of grace being bestowed upon um, individuals. In John one in verse seventeen it says, "For the law was given through Moses, uh, but grace and truth uh, came through Jesus Christ." And so the writer here, and, and what he's saying here is true, that there was an emphasis on law that was that was given, and then when we see Jesus coming, we have this emphasis on grace and the salvation that we can have through grace uh, through faith, but. One thing that we have to think about Was was grace not existent in the Old Testament Or was it limited uh, In the Old Testament And I think what we see If anybody that actually studies the Old Testament Is that that is simply not the case that, that there was grace extended To a great degree uh, To to a lot of different Individuals For example with David uh, You think about the grace that God shows to David uh, In reference to his sin With uh, Bathsheba And David, and I think a lot of this has to do with David's attitude. He recognizes his sin. He confesses his sin. He's forgiven of that. Now, recognize that there were consequences to his sin, physical consequences, but he himself was forgiven. Now, look at his attitude of Psalms 51. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And so he recognizes his sin and he pleads for God to have mercy on him, to cleanse him from his (laughs) sin. And God does. And so we see God extending grace towards David. And this is not the only case where God forgives the sins of, of David, He shows grace towards David on multiple occasions. Think about the Israelites. And if you read through the whole book of judges and even and really this the really the the entire history of the Israelites seems like is there's this constant cycle in that they rebel against God, and then what does God do they well really he, he they, they start being oppressed, God hears their cries, and he comes and saves them Judges two and verse sixteen through nineteen it says, nevertheless the Lord. "...raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked and obeyed commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge." For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers, by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. And so again, they turn from God, God they start being oppressed. (coughs) God delivers them, and then the cycle continues on and on. And when you think about that, if you think about somebody, some individual in your own life that, that acted like that, that they do you wrong, and then something bad happens to them, and then they're like, well, then they start coming to you, pleading for you to you know, forgive them and to help them. And then as soon as you help them, well, they go out and keep on doing the same thing over and over and over again. It would be hard, at least for me, extremely hard to continue going down that route. And it's similar to what we see in the New Testament Jesus says to forgive this individual 70 times, 7 times, that... You, if they repent, if they come to you, confess those things, you are, you should be willing to forgive those things. And we see that we see this with God here, uh, that he we see here he was moved to pity by the groaning because of those who <laughs> oppressed them and harassed them, and so he reacts to that and he extends that grace to them, and recognizing that and, and recognizing that this cycle was going to continue uh even uh when they even when, when things turn around they're just going to go back to the way they were doing they were not going to serve God like they were supposed to they were even going to be ha- they were going to behave more corruptly uh than the generation before them than they're you know more corruptly than their fathers uh joseph so joseph in genesis forty five so his brothers don't like him they Sell him off. He eventually makes his way to Egypt. He ends up being uh, put in prison. He ends up being freed from prison, and then I believe he's he's becomes basically just under Pharaoh. And you know he tells Pharaoh uh, he he tells uh, or he uh, interprets the dream of Pharaoh, and we see where they are storing wheat because of a famine that's going to be coming. Uh, in a, in a few years, and then we see where Joseph's family, his brothers, eventually come to Egypt because they know that they have something in which they can eat. But notice uh, through all of this Joseph's attitude. He says, "But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here." For God sent me before you to preserve life for these two years. The famine has been in the land, and there are five, still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you and the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So if you were in, in Joseph's situation, and, and you know when he's being sold off, to sold off, and he and he's sold off to be a slave, and you'd probably be thinking that things really couldn't get much worse. And look how it turns out for Joseph. And Joseph recognizes that it was God who uh, who caused these things to work out for Joseph. And he said, God sent me here uh, to preserve a posterity of you, to save your life by a great deliverance. We see this favor being shown towards Joseph from God. And even though the things at the moment look terrible, uh, we see all those things eventually work out in the end. He's made him a father to uh, Pharaoh. He's lord of all his house and ruled throughout all the land of Egypt. And so God did all these things. For Joseph Rahab so and, and recognize who Rahab was and what the people in that land before the Israelites came what did they deserve and what was God's plan for them and we see that Rahab was willing to help those spies and she was saved uh, because of that. In Joshua 2, it says, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, And what you did to the two kings, the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house, and give me a true token, and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And Again, they were saved from that. And we see where the, the spies were swearing this to Rahab. But, you know, recognize at the end that they didn't have to do this. And God could have said, you know, just wipe all of them out. But she recognizes what's going on. The Lord is with them. Nothing can save them because the Lord is on their side. And she begs him because of what she has done. Uh, To to spare them, and we see in that case that she is spared. So even in this situation, uh, she is shown grace, even though there's really no reason for why uh, she should receive it, technically. All right, now, when we look at all these examples, you may think, well, or somebody may say, well, these were all specific examples of grace in the in the Old Testament, and that these people kind of found favor in in the sight of God. But what about everybody else? Uh, does does God just show grace to specific individuals, or is there a level of grace in which He He shows uh, to everyone? And the answer to that is yes. And, I, and the only way that I kind of <laughs> distinguish this is by calling it generic grace and of course i don't like calling it it's kind of strange calling it generic grace but i distinguish between a generic type grace and a specific type grace and what i mean by generic grace is this grace that's just given to everybody on the planet and think about the grace that god gives to everyone in second peter three and verse nine we recognize that god gives everyone the ability to repent And he is long-suffering towards everyone that they should repent. All right? And so, the and recognize that for anybody, the moment that they sin, it would be completely just for God to just say, you're done. That immediate punishment after one sins. But notice what it says. He says, uh, Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but is long sorf- suffering toward us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and so that's is on god's mind he wants everyone to turn to him and he's willing to be a long suffering extremely patient towards any to towards a lot of people and to the point where it may it may Seem toward in a, in, the, in the mind of a Christian, it may seem as though, well, you know, this is this is wild. why why is God showing them so much mercy or why is God allowing them to have such a good life? And recognize part of that is God giving them time to <coughs> repent. Matthew 5 and verse 45, he not only does it give everybody the ability to repent, but he God gives blessings to everybody every, every time when someone wakes up and receives the good of the earth that is grace uh, being shown to them uh, it says that you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust again all those things are given to those that really don't deserve it he gives those things to the just he gives those things for the for evil and again uh, there's part of that is so is part of this long suffering and and so he extends grace uh, at least some degree of grace some favor uh, to everyone uh, that is being born on the planet but recognize that them getting those certain blessings is not an indication that they have a right standing before god and so again those people that were that If we think about the evil and the wicked people that seem to always be getting ahead, they got plenty of money. They're living a life of luxury. That's not an indication of one's right standing before God. There's a lot of religious people in today's world that think that if they are right with God, that they should have a lot of money, and that's clearly not the case. We see in Job, verse four, chapter four, and verse seven through nine. I believe this is Eliphaz uh, talking. Uh, with Job, and he has this mindset that because Job, all these bad things happened to Job, it was because he did something wrong. He says, remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or were or the upright ever cut off, even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. And So he has this idea that, again, Job had to have done something wrong. And, of course, we recognize that he hadn't done nothing wrong. And Job repeats that. He's like, I didn't do nothing wrong. And and so, again, when we think about the hardships and think about all the things that we may grow through, it's not necessarily because God is punishing us uh, for, the, for some sin. And also, when we receive the good, it's not necessarily an indication that God is... Saying, Evan, you got everything figured out, and I'm giving this as a reward for you. But recognize that those good things still is God's grace being shown to us. Now, uh, well, I'm well, there was a there's a point there that's not showing up there, but. When we think about this idea, of moving on from generic grace to specific grace, and, and when I'm talking about the specific grace, I'm only talking about the grace that's shown to believers and the blessings that we have to believers. And part of that is, this is Colossians 1 and verse 13, and that we become a, a part of Christ's kingdom. It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son so we're part of his kingdom. We're an heir. Uh, Earlier Matt read that we are reconciled to God. And so nothing on this earth compares to that. And that is a blessing that's only given to those that believe. In Colossians 1 and verse 14, again, we have the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we have the forgiveness of sins. We are become a part of his kingdom, we're reconciled, we're justified, we're sanctified, we're we're given all those things, and we have this standing before God that's only given to us through uh, that sacrifice of Christ, all right? And so again, we see these distinctions made between this grace that's given to everybody, but then... This level of blessings that we see here, this grace that we see here, is only given to those that believe and have faith in Christ. Oh, well, now it shows up. I had it backwards, apparently. All right. So, you know, in, in going on with this, uh, thinking about Jesus and the salvation that we could have through him, recognize that Jesus' mission is to save sinners in luke 19 and verses 9 through 10 it says and jesus said to him today salvation has come to this house because he is also son of abraham for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost notice again that very last part the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost in Matthew 1, and verse 21, it says, And she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All right, so again, why did Jesus come forth? There was a need for him. What was that need? Well, th- through here, we see that people were lost, people were in their sins, and they had to be saved from it. And only through Jesus, we see uh, that they can be saved from uh, those sins. And also recognize that that this is not just, so when he talks about he's, he's, he's coming to save sinners, this is not just a few people, or not just a select uh, bunch of uh, people. This is everybody. In Romans 6 and verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, this is what, and so, sin, and therefore death, uh, everybody has worked for. That everybody has deserved death. So, they've done sin, and what was the compensation for that? That What's the wages for that? That's death, all right? So, everybody deserves that, but what is the gift of God? And think again, think about what grace means, and... This favor bestowed upon somebody who, and, and it's bestowed, and they don't have to do that. You know, that's a gift. Uh, that's a grace. And through this gift, uh, we can have eternal life. And that eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, we have eternal life. He's coming to save sins, and we don't deserve that. That's totally, we're not owed that. It doesn't say that the wages, that the wages, uh, that, that of you know of what we do is eternal life rather the wages of what we do of sin is death and also recognize that all sin receives the same consequences i think a lot of and, and generally religious people have this idea that you think about uh maybe the things in which they say so there's certain like you go out in the world and there are certain cuss words that religious people, it seems like they're okay with saying, with saying. And then there's a select few that's like, oh, I can't say that. That's really bad. But these over here, that's okay. And not really recognizing that it's still wrong for them to say it. And think about this list of sins in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. And so we have the... I guess you would say probably the big sense, so adultery, fornication, you think about idolatry, murder, but you also see some of these, so hatred, all right, So and contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath. And hey, you think about contentions and the outbursts of wrath, and you could probably reason with yourself that there's some situations where it's like it's, You know, I'm justified for being mad or acting like that or just losing my mind over a certain situation because that was just wrong. And recognize that still falls into the same category of outbursts of wrath. And it should have nothing, this uh, should have nothing to do uh, with a Christian. Think about selfish ambitions, all right, and envy. Uh, revelries, drunkenness, all those other things, in which doesn't seem as such a big deal when you compare it to murder and adultery, but recognize it's all going to it's all going to put you in the same spot. Paul says, all those that practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you might not be murdering people or committing adultery, but if you're have these jealousies or you're you know guilty of these contentions guess what you're in the same boat as the rest of them and so all sins receive the same consequence so we can't get in our mind that well it's well i don't do these bad things so i don't really need saving or there's no need for me to really repent or confess anything because i don't really do these bad things but they're just as bad we see in the scripture they're just as bad as all those other sins Right. And also, and, and we kind of already alluded to this, that man cannot atone uh, for his own sins. There is nothing in man in which he, can, uh, he can't uh, bring, he can't uh, earn enough money, he can't uh, you know, sacrifice enough animals to atone for his own sins. In Proverbs 20, and verse 9, it says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I'm pure from my sin, and of course, that's a rhetorical question. The answer to that is no one. No one can make their heart clean. No one can make themselves pure from sin. And Hebrews ten and verse four it says, "For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins." So even under the old law, and even though they are required. Uh, To perform these sacrifices. What was the problem with that? They could not completely take away sins. That blood could not completely take it away. There had to be something different. So they couldn't sacrifice their way out of it. They couldn't work their way out of of the sins. And so something else had to be done. And we see that Jesus can atone for those sins. And only through him. Uh, can you have your sins atoned. In Matthew 26 and verse 28 says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, uh, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. But what about Jesus' blood? We see here that Jesus' blood can uh, remit sins, can forgive sins, And in Hebrews 7, and verse 25, it says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I like how the writer describes that, that not only is he just able to save, so it's not just that he's just barely able to save you. The writer says he's able to save those to the uttermost. And who is he able to save? Those who come to God through him. Alright, so if those that come to God through them, they're going to be saved. They're going to have their sins forgiven, Matthew 26, verse 28. And then we also see where Jesus is also making intercession for them as well. Alright, so we see the contrast there. Man cannot save himself. It is only through Jesus in which one can be forgiven. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9 it says for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast and again how are we saved well we have faith we believe and then we are saved by grace and recognize the contrast here between the grace and the works all right so you have been saved by grace again it is the gift of God again this undeserved favor uh, towards us and it has nothing to do with any type of work so this is what Paul has to say and so what is the problem with being saved by works and you see this is a lot of a lot of there's a lot of pages of the New Testament talking about this idea of being saved by works and being saved by the works of the old law. And what is the problem with that? Why could I not be saved uh, by these works? Well, the problem is that one has to continually do those works and do those works perfectly if they hope to be saved by them. In Galatians 3, and verse 10 through 12, it says, For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law inside of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. All right. So the problem is, is if nobody does not, if if you don't continue in all things which are written in the book of the law, you are cursed, and this is the problem. And so this was a problem uh, uh, with the Jews, and, and, and thinking that you could be saved by these things because thinking that you could do part of these works and be saved was ridiculous. And the only way in which you could be saved is by doing all those things, and even and this is in the context of the old law. You think about what God requires us of today. You know, do we perfectly obey Him in all aspects all the time? And and no, we don't. And that's even the problem for us today in, in thinking that works save us because we can't do everything that God uh, that that. God requires of us, and we have not done everything that God requires of us. So we can't be saved by those works, so there has to be something different. And this is what's being talked about in, in Ephesians chapter 2, is you haven't kept kept these works, so you can't be saved by them, so there has to be something else. There has to be grace being <laughs> showed to you by God. And this is what Paul is talking about when you're being saved Uh, By this grace through faith. And that not being of yourselves. Because you haven't. And you can't work for it. Alright. But. We have to recognize that his grace demands I give my all to him. Now even though I'm not saved by those things. That ultimately at the end of the day. It is God's grace that's saving me. He still can dictate uh, and, and still command me to do certain things and still demand that I submit myself to him. In Mark 8, verses 34 through 35, it says, When he called the people to himself with his disciples, also he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his <coughs> cross and follow me. For he, whoever desires to save his life will lose him. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save him. And so when we think about this salvation by grace, we have to recognize that it's not just, well, I'm saved and then I'm just going to coast. There's requirements that Jesus gives us. And we see here that ultimately he's saying, you know, give everything to me. Give give your whole life to me. Deny yourself, take up the cross. And follow me. It's not about you, and not about what you want to do now. That you have to lose your life here in order to save it. In Titus two and verse eleven through fourteen, we see that God's grace actually teaches us to do certain things. He says, "For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly." Righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And so, again, this grace uh, teaches us to deny this ungodliness, to, to ultimately to live for for God. And we live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. All right. And so recognize (laughs) that obedience is required of him. But at the end of the day, there these works are you know ultimately not what's saving us. It's ultimately the grace of God that's saving us. But he does require us. To do these things. And these things do affect our salvation. And so uh, that's the end of my lesson. I I hope it's been useful for all of you here. I just want to look at a few things about grace. That has always been shown by God. Uh, There wasn't some type of switch flipped in the new testament that god decided to show grace there's always grace being shown throughout throughout time and that he gives these blessings uh to everyone and then he gives of course he gives some blessings to every to all of us but yet these specific blessings uh and this grace that's shown to believers is so much greater and so if there's uh, anything that uh, we can help you with today, if there's anyone here that wants to become a Christian, recognizes that they have a need for God's grace, we certainly like for you to come forth <laughs> and for us to talk about these things. Or if you're already a Christian and maybe you need to confess something, maybe you need to uh, need the prayers of the saints. Now, for whatever reason, uh, will you come as we stand and as we sing? Right.